Our scripture lesson for today, the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Jesus tells this parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three o'clock, and he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these who worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, friend, am I doing you? Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last the same as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The gospel of the Lord. Amen. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Back in 1999, it was the glory days for me. That's when I was sort of coming of age. I was in college at the time. And in that, that year, a movie came out that many argued was just earth shattering, that it was groundbreaking in so many different aspects like storytelling and visual effects and, and, and camera techniques, all sorts of things. The movie was called The Matrix. And if you're familiar with this movie, you probably fall into one of two camps. Either you absolutely loved it, which hey, I did, or you didn't understand it, or I guess a third option is you just never saw it. This movie spawned a couple of not quite so great sequels in the years that followed. But, you know, we're going clear back to 1999 here. So you might be wondering, hey, Pastor Scott, why are you talking about this movie that's so old? Well, it's kind of in the news because one of the stars, or uh, 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 actually the main star, Keanu Reeves, has talked about that they are making another sequel that's going to come out in the next couple of years. It's, it's sort of in that geek culture news, if you're familiar with that. But what I really am thinking about in terms of this is one specific scene. Now, the premise of this whole movie, the premise of the whole story is that humanity is actually plugged into a computer simulation that they live in. Their lives are lived in this computer-generated reality. And that everything that they're experiencing is not actually real. It's all just a simulation. That's the basic premise of it. Now, there's this one scene that I love. The main character, Keanu Reeves, he, he's just kind of going on that hero's journey. He's in the early stages of it. And he goes and he, he interacts with this young boy who is kind of a, 
almost like a guru. He's, he's sitting like with his legs crossed like they do. He's wearing robes. He's got a bald head. And he picks up this boy. He picks up a spoon. And he looks at it for a second. And suddenly, out of nowhere, the spoon just begins to bend and twist. And then it pops back into shape. And then he hands it up to Keanu Reeves. And he says, do not try to bend the spoon. That is impossible. Instead, try to realize the truth. Well, the truth, what truth? There is no spoon. Now, the scene goes on from there. They get into some like back and forth little um, philosophical conversation as the scene continues. But I want you to kind of take that idea. There is no spoon. And tuck that into the back of your heads. And we're going to talk about this parable just a little bit. I know that's probably strange, but just tuck it away. What I love about parables is that Jesus uses them as a teaching tool. And the whole intention behind these parables is to take this concept, this idea, this, this reality of the kingdom of heaven, which is so much bigger and larger and greater than we can possibly understand in our present reality. Jesus uses these various stories, these illustrations, these metaphors to try and reveal a snippet of truth to us. And that's what's happening here. Now, if you've been around for a while, you know that preaching on parables is not always my favorite thing to do because I think sometimes what is revealed to us or to me might be different than the truth that is revealed about the kingdom to you when you hear a parable. But every once in a while, we get one that's just, it, it grabs our attention just correctly, and it seems to kind of really fit, and it really kind of works. And let me tell you, I'm actually kind of excited about this one today. Jesus tells us this parable about a landowner who's got a bunch of work he needs done in his vineyard. And so he goes out into the marketplace first thing in the morning, and he finds a bunch of people, and he hires them to work for the day, and he says, this is what I'm going to pay you. And they're like, cool, sounds good, and they go off to work. And then a couple hours later, the landowner goes back out again and finds some more people. And he's like, hey, um, why don't you guys go work too? I'll pay you what's right. And so they do. And then he goes out again a couple hours later. And then a couple hours after that, finds some more people, sends them on in as well. And then finally, with only an hour left to go, an hour left in the day as things are, the sun's probably starting to come down. Things are starting to cool off. There's not really a whole lot of, of work left to do. He goes out and he finds some more people. And he's like, why have you stood around all day? Go into the vineyard. When the day is over, he calls his manager and he says, okay, I want you to pay everybody. Start with the last ones to come in and then go to the first. And here's the weird part. Here's the strange part. I mean, that in itself is weird. It's like, why would you start with them? But when the people who had only been there for one hour, they come to the manager, the manager pays them, and he gives them a denarii, which is the, the, the daily wage. It's basically what you and your family need to live for one day. That was the daily wage, and that's what they get. They've only worked an hour, but they get paid for the whole day. And as they're all standing in line, as the people who had been out there for however long, 12 hours probably, and they've been working all day, they see that and they start to think, wow, this landowner is awesome. Look, he gave them an entire day's wage for working an hour. Imagine how much we're going to get. And then they come cycling through the line and they come up with their hands all expectant and the manager goes, drops the coin in and they're like, huh? What's this? That's what they got. They only worked an hour. That's not how this works. We deserve That's the basis for the whole story. That's the reaction of the people. 
and they can't quite figure it out. And so they start to grumble and they start to, 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 to they're all ticked off and they're grumbling and the landowner hears them and he's like, Why, what's, what's the problem? And he says, you've made them equal to us. We worked all day. We've done all the work. We endured the heat. They were out here for an hour and hardly did anything and you've made us equal. And he says, I gave you what I promised you. This is what we agreed. This is what I promised you. Like what concern of, what, why is it a concern of you if I do something for them? It's my stuff. I'll do what I want with it. What concern is it for you? And we don't know how they react after, after the landowner says this. Do they, are they ashamed? Maybe they realize the error of their ways. We don't know because we don't hear from them anymore. But their initial reaction really seems to be the thing that's going on here. It's like, wait a second. That's not how this is supposed to work. We've worked harder. We've worked longer. We've done more. We've earned more. That's not how this is supposed to work. That's not how the system is set up. And the landowner, as we hear in the story of Jesus, in this fictionalized story that Jesus just kind of makes up and tells us, Jesus says, or the landowner says, I will do what I want. I am generous with my own things. It's mine to give. I will give it as I want. That's no concern of yours. You have received what I promised you. Now, what I think about with all this, when I think about all of this whole situation, everything that's going on here, it really seems to be that idea of, of the, the earliest people being like, that's not how this is supposed to work. That's not how the system works. But what's really key, what I think is really, really, really important and what really grabbed my attention is the instruction of the landowner. I want you to pay the last ones first. Well, why would he do that? What purpose would he possibly have unless it was to display that generosity for those who have done little, for those who came in late, for those who were found late compared to those who were there the whole time? It seems that the landowner wants that on display. And even though their reaction is, we've done all this, this is the way it's supposed to work, this is how the system says it's supposed to work and you're doing it wrong, the landowner seems to be saying, you know what? Your system doesn't matter. That in itself, I think, is the key. And the reason that I, I really focus in on this and the reason that I'm really connecting with this has to do with this event that we as a community of faith are celebrating today, affirmation of baptism confirmation. Now, the way this whole process works, if you aren't familiar with it, it's kind of a portion in the midst of our education of our young people. First, they go through Sunday school, and in our, our tradition, that goes through about sixth grade, and then they start about two years of, of time when they're interacting with, with me as, as the pastor, and we talk about the narrative of the Bible, and we talk about some of the, the aspects that we call in the Lutheran heritage, we call it the small catechism, where we talk about the sacraments and the, the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed and, and, and the Ten Commandments. We talk about all these different things. We do that over the course of the couple of years. But the first time I interacted with this particular group of young people, this, there's eight of them, and, and this year, just because of COVID, it happens to be a, a mixture of two different, two different classes, two different years, but we're mixing them together. Now, when I first encountered the majority of this group, it was when they were in fifth grade and they were having instruction towards Holy Communion. And what I remember so vividly about this particular group is even as fifth graders, as we were talking about communion, they were right in it. They were engaged. They were asking questions. They were, they were saying, well, what about this? Or, or how about this? Or that doesn't seem quite right. Or that's sort of strange or whatever. I remember just walking out of that particular time of education with this group being like, wow, those kids are with it. 
That continued when we got into this class, when we got into this group, this confirmation group together, which started a couple of years ago. And they were still engaged. They were still asking questions. They were getting into it. And they weren't afraid to be like, you know what? I don't get it. This doesn't make sense. I don't know what I think about that. And they, they would share their opinions, whether they lined up with mine or not. One of the last things that I do with our confirmation students before the day of confirmation is I have them write a statement of belief. It's, we, I simply call it the I believe statement. I've done this every year with every class that I've ever worked with. And I always tell them, I said, I don't want you to try and impress me. I want you to be honest about what you think about faith, what you think about God, what you think about the church, all of this stuff. Be honest with it. I said, don't write a novel. You can keep it to a paragraph or two, but be honest and tell me what you think. And folks, I am never, ever disappointed when I read these. And every year, there's kind of a theme or two that sort of emerge. Now, some of the themes seem like they sort of repeat year after year. Most classes kind of experience them, and some of them are sort of unique. Two of them came forward this year out of the statements of these eight students. The first one, the first theme that emerged is that I think that God is out there and that God is always with us in the hard stuff and will help us through the hard stuff. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing to acknowledge. But as we recognize that, we, we realize that even for these young people, they've experienced things that haven't been all hunky-dory. Clearly, to make that statement, they've experienced things that have been kind of rough. And they recognize, they believe that God is present within them. Now, the second theme that came up, I think is connected to this. And I think it's all a, a larger aspect of this. But the students almost across the board were not afraid to tell me that while they believe in God, and they believe that faith is important, and they believe in the, the, the sort of quote-unquote factual things that we can pull from the narrative of the Bible, that there is still so much that they don't get. They don't understand it. They still are in the midst of some of those questions like, you know, I don't quite get this. Or sometimes it kind of makes sense, and sometimes it kind of doesn't, and I don't know what to think of that. I appreciate their honesty. I love their honesty. And folks, let me say this. Their honesty reveals a truth that I think is universal to all of us. We all experience those times where faith is like, what? Like, God, where are you on this? Those questions, those, those concerns, even, even doubts. And these things, these times when they happen, they are not a bad thing. They are all part of the journey. Let me say this. There is no system that we go through that automatically gets us to this point on a timeline and this point in our faith journey, if we want to use that, that, that phrase. There is no point where we reach this like, okay, now I've gotten it. I've learned enough. I've, I've exhibited enough. I've done enough. I believe enough. I think this. I don't think that. I'm good here. I'm okay there. Everything's great. It's copacetic. God loves me. Yay. Cool. There is no point when that occurs. There is no system that gets you to justification or righteousness or being good to go in God's eyes. There's no system. 
And when the doubts happen and when the concerns happen and the fears happen, they are simply showing us the truth of our reality that there are times when it feels like God is really close and there are times when it feels like God is really not very close. And folks, if we look at the scriptures as a whole, the truth that I believe we, or one of the truths I should say, that we find in the scriptures is that the scriptures are very much about the apparent presence of God and equally about the apparent absence of God. And so for us to experience those times when it's like, God, I don't feel you out there. Are you there? Those questions, those doubts, those concerns, we can bring those to God and that's okay. And if we experience them, that's also okay too. When we consider all of this stuff, all of that, and we consider this passage, this one passage that comes from Jesus, this illustration that Jesus is using to reveal the kingdom of heaven is like this. Well, what's it about? It seems to be about a God who desires to explore and to show the generosity that God has for people. How is that on display for us today? Well, it seems to be in the, the way that God is generous with grace the way that God is generous with the claim upon each of us as beloved child, that claim that comes upon us that we profess happens in baptism. Now, does it only happen in baptism? No, I believe God calls and claims whoever God chooses. But we profess the faith, the promise that God has made that in the waters of baptism, that claim becomes tangible. In our Lutheran tradition, in our tradition, typically we baptize as babies. Not always, there are times when we baptize older folks but typically as babies. And those promises are spoken over the child and the parents and the godparents and even the congregation all share in promises to help raise that child in faith. And what's going to go on today is that these eight young people are claiming those promises as their own. They're living into these promises, but this is only one step in an ongoing journey. Remember, there is no system that lets us see I've made it. The claim of God begins whenever God chooses. It's made real for us. It's made tangible. So we have something to hold on to in baptism. We express it and we also have it made real for us and tangible when we come to the table and we have Holy Communion and we remember the body of Christ was broken for us and the blood of Christ was shed for us and it's for you and for the forgiveness of sins for all people. That's an ongoing thing. But folks and kids, Students specifically, you are on the journey. You are on the path, and it's not always hunky-dory. The path of life, whether we are faithful people or not, is a roller coaster. It's up and down. There's very wonderful good stuff, and there are just as equally hard stuff, and we're living in that reality right now, perhaps even more fittingly, and maybe that's even more apparent, especially in this instant right now as you are watching me coming through a computer screen. Life is up and down. It's not always easy. It's hard. And sometimes it's like, what is going on? I don't know what to think. And I don't know what to think about God. And I don't know what to think about faith. And I don't know what to think about the doubts that I have or the questions that I have. I just don't know. Well, folks, let me tell you this. The journey that God is leading you on, whether it feels like it or not, is bringing you to this point. It's all part of the journey. And it's the hard moments that we tend to be shaped by more. Think back over your story. What are those big moments as you think back that really jump out to you? They're probably not the easy ones, are they? 
The things that tend to shape us are the hard ones. And as we look back, we think, wow, that was horrible in the moment. That was tough in the moment. I'm glad I'm not going through that now, but it shaped me to this point. And this is true for you today. If you find yourself today in a moment where you just like, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Remember, it's not because you're doing something wrong. It's not because you're following, you're, you're not following the system because folks, when it comes to God's love and, and forgiveness and grace and claim upon you, there is no system. Folks, remember the truth. There is no spoon. It simply is because God has promised it to you.